there's different philosophies, right? Diversify across everything on the planet. And then there's double down on what's working basically. And so I'm of that mindset now is double down on what's working. And if it's real estate, awesome. And if you're good at trading stocks, awesome, go do it. Welcome to the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. My name is Kerwin Donis. My brothers and I got into real estate investing to achieve financial freedom and help underserved communities in Guatemala, where our mom is from. Real estate is the vehicle we're taking to achieve our goals. And you can too. On this show, we share the stories of some of the most successful real estate investors to show you that you can succeed in real estate just like they have. Each episode, we deliver inspiring and educational content that will empower you to launch your real estate investing career and achieve your financial goals. Let's go. Travis Watts is a full-time passive investor. He's been investing in real estate since 2009 in multifamily, single-family, and vacation rentals. Travis is also the Director of Investor Relations at Ashcroft Capital. He dedicates his time to educating others who are looking to be more hands-off in real estate. Travis was first exposed to what real estate could do for him when he was in high school. After picking it up at a garage sale, his father gave him a particular book that planted the real estate bug in him at an early age. It kind of started for me back in high school. Believe it or not, I was visiting my dad one summer. My dad's a big garage sailor. So I I was kind of raised with a frugality kind of mindset and upbringing. He grabbed a book totally random called Rich Dad Prophecy. So it's not Rich Dad Poor Dad as a lot of people, you know, attribute to their gateway into real estate. And I read that book and it, it was just so many great nuggets in there and i just kind of planted the seeds for a later time you know i knew at that point i wanted to get into real estate at some point but of course that wasn't the right time i didn't have any money i wasn't prepared you know to start that journey so i kind of went through many years of, of just saving saving working working reading more books about real estate and 2009 rolled around and real estate was obviously on sale at that point And I thought, hey, it's now or never. Don't know how far these markets are coming down, but at least right now they're about 40% off, at least uh, in my market. So that's when I dove in is, is 2009. Growing up, Travis's family was very frugal. They were savers and Travis was taught to live below his means. This mindset was ingrained in Travis throughout his childhood, which made the idea of taking a risk and buying real estate a scary thought. 100%. As I mentioned, so I had a a frugality upbringing, which was all about save, save, save and live below your means. And, you know, kind of that that old school, you know, just keep money in the bank for a rainy day. Nothing at all about investing. So, of course, it was extremely scary to buy a property, you know, knowing what I knew from books that nobody in my circle or family had read. So when I, I remember distinctly, Kerwin, when I asked them, I said, do you, do you think I ought to buy a property? This was September of, of 2009 when everything was looking terrible. If you tuned into the news, you'd be scared to death. And every one of them was, nope, I wouldn't buy real estate right now. That's crazy. You know, <laughs> look at my stocks, look at my real estate. This is just chaos. And no, I wouldn't. I would rent. And, you know, I knew a couple things. I knew the government was handing out a uh, first time home buyer tax credit. Okay, so that was nice. That was an $8,000 perk. And then I knew, like I said, real estate was 40% off. And then I knew I could house hack this particular property, meaning I, I could get a roommate to effectively pay my mortgage on it because it was near a college campus. 
So all of that considered, and I also knew, by the way, that, that I had 20% to put down. <laughs> so when I, when I pulled all that together, I said, you know, it, it, if I rent, you know, I'm out of pocket a thousand bucks a month or whatever. If I do this house hack, I'm effectively living for free. And so that gave me the courage to take a step forward and at least try it, knowing that I was at the beginning of my journey. And even if I failed, I'm young, you know, hopefully I can recover from that. Determined to get into the real estate game, Travis bought his first property and house hacked it. This one property served as a catalyst for him and got him thinking about what could happen if he did more deals. First deal was a, was a two bed, one bath townhome. $95,000 uh, previously sold for about 170 before the recession. And uh, that spare bedroom, I furnished it cheaply on, on Craigslist and garage sales, just with some, some cheap stuff, nice, but cheap. And um, yeah, I got $600 a month. My mortgage was 640. So I was, I was basically living for free, you know? So that's kind of how it started is, is just house hacking. Then I kind of just got the bug, you know, I started seeing tax benefits to real estate. I started seeing cash flow coming in. I started really dreaming, you know, and thinking about financial independence, financial freedom, where this could lead. What if I had 10 of these properties, et cetera. So that led me into fix and flips. So that was kind of my next step of the journey is up and down the front range of Colorado between Fort Collins and Denver, if anyone's familiar, I was just buying up single family condos, townhomes, single family, or sorry, single family townhomes yeah, and condos. And I was flipping them. And then I got into um, vacation rentals. And that was the last thing that I did actively. And that was around 2015 and 16. And I was burning out, Kerwin. I just, uh, I was working in the oil industry. So I had a job that required 100 hours a week of my time. A lot of busy professionals out there. You know, I mean, I'm sharing my story, but don't think that, that, that this can't be relatable for anyone who works a lot of hours. And I was trying to scale up my single family portfolio on the side. And it just burned me out, just quite frankly, you know. And what I discovered about myself in that is I didn't really enjoy being in the business of real estate. I didn't really enjoy managing tenants or driving for, for properties and deals and, you know, trying to build up the, these teams myself. What I enjoyed was tax benefits, cash flow, you know, passive income, really. I was trying to create financial independence. And so how I ended up actually doing that is I discovered multifamily syndications. And that was through a real estate group in person in 2015, where I was introduced to a couple gentlemen who had sold their companies decades ago. And ever since they had been full-time investors, they had been limited partners in these syndications. And it blew my mind, Kerwin, that was just such a light bulb moment. Cause I thought, you tell me I could be hands-off I could be passive. I could still get all these benefits from real estate that, you know, the cash flow, the tax advantages, the leverage, all of it, and not have to do the work. You know, that was so appealing to me. And so I, I pivoted uh, between 2015, 100% from single family into multifamily and from active into passive. So that's kind of how the, how the story goes. The oil and gas industry is known to be volatile, with a bust following every boom. The industry was experiencing tumultuous waters when Travis first started looking for a better, more stable path. When he left his oil and gas job, his cash flow from real estate gave him security that his peers didn't have to fall back on. As I mentioned, I worked in the oil industry, and for anyone familiar with that industry, it's very boom and bust, quite literally, as the price of oil's up and down, you're, you're either doing great in your job or you're laid off. 
And so that's what was happening towards 2015 as oil was dropping out rapidly. People were getting laid off in, in just droves, you know. And I saw the writing on the wall even before that. I just knew this isn't something I can stick out for 30, 40 years anyway. First of all, I don't want to. And second of all, I probably couldn't <laughs> because it's not in my control. And that's a big lesson to learn is sometimes, you know, we can get comfortable in a job or a W-2 and just think, oh yeah, you know, I make this much money. Let me just times that by 40 years equals, oh, I'll be a multimillion. Yeah, but you know, you forget about <laughs> recessions and the economy and different things that can that are not in your control, even if you're a great employee. So to your point, I did have enough cash flow from my real estate to overcome the income that I needed to live on, you know, or in other words, as I like to say, my lifestyle expenses. So that gave me a, a golden opportunity to exit preemptively from that career and start doing things that I actually enjoyed. You know, and the first thing I always kind of laugh about this was I went to go work for a brokerage firm, <laughs> you know, having been in real estate for years already, I thought, why not go learn stocks, bonds and mutual funds, right? And see how that stacks up against real estate. Didn't last very long, got my licenses, started about, I don't know, six, nine months in that role and thought, you know, this is really not, in my opinion, as lucrative, as good as, as what real estate was providing to me. So I left that, that world to go into real estate. So, you know, this led to me investing and working with Joe Fairless at Ashcroft Capital and, and for the best ever brand, because I enjoy getting out, getting the word out, networking with people, going to conference, doing webinars, jumping on podcasts like yours, and just helping people realize that you don't have to start in single family, you don't have to do it all yourself, and that you can, you know, have these, these multifamily syndications perhaps in your portfolio, if nothing else is a diversification, right? Using a self-directed IRA or something like that. So I'm just out here to, to help people recognize that and explain what it is and how it works. Ever since he was in high school, Travis understood the importance of self-education. His drive to learn, build a strong mindset, and maintain discipline enabled him to build a real estate portfolio and create some sense of financial stability through his cash flow. Ever since high school, probably before, but I, I remember it starting to really click in high school, I've always wanted to help the people around me with whatever it was that was working for me. In fact, I wrote a book in high school <laughs> called How to Get a 4.0 GPA with Minimal Effort. So I think the, the minimal effort kind of killed me in terms of scaling that book. But, <laughs> you know, the point was I didn't make that for a profit. I made that to help people I saw struggling that I felt maybe I can't articulate it verbally in a quick conversation, but if I could write this little 60 pager with some tricks and tips, maybe it helps people. So to that point, I've always been big on self-education. Even back then I was listening to, you know, Tony Robbins books and things like that, which most people don't, you know, quite frankly. And so to your point in the oil industry, especially the way this would work is, um, well, to answer your question first, I think it came from the frugality background. You know, I think it was a lot of mindset. It was a lot of self-discipline. This is something I always think about is I can is so much more powerful than IQ. You don't have to be a smart person. I don't deem myself to be a, a smart person, but I do have willpower. I do have drive. I do have self-discipline. You know, for years, I'll give you a couple examples. I lived on $2 per meal, three meals per day 
$6 total. That was my food budget. I did that from the end of high school all the way through college and probably two years after. So that's self-discipline. <laughs> you know, how easy is it to go walk in Chipotle and go drop 10 bucks, right? But I didn't do it. You know, if I ever got Chipotle, I'd get like double meat and then, you know, rack it up into four sections and, <laughs> and have multiple meals or something. So yes, I was kind of the, 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 the black sheep, the oddball, whatever you want to say about it. And when we would have a bonus come in, from the oil industry, say it was $5,000, I would be investing that, man. I'd be saving 100% of that and going and putting that in real estate. Other guys, I'm gonna lift my truck. I'm gonna go put new tires on my car, new rims, whatever it was. And it just goes to zero and you know they lose the value anyway. It's a liability. And so it was tough. I did my best to, to try to educate, but a lot of people unfortunately don't wanna tune into the message, I think, uh, for whatever reason. I, I still can't understand it. <laughs> Through putting himself out there and networking, Travis connected with investors who were active in the multifamily space. He soon learned how real estate syndications worked and how passively investing in one could benefit him. So as I mentioned, I was in a local face-to-face -face real estate meetup group. I had been introduced to the, the couple gentlemen who had been doing this for a very long time. And that's what made it real to me. This wasn't like, you know, some clickbait that I saw on YouTube or a Google ad. This was a, an actual person that I knew that was local in my area that I trusted that would say, look, you know, <laughs> not here to sell you anything, but here's the deal. This is what I've been investing in. This is how it's panned out for me. Here's the risk. Here's the reward. Here's the pros. Here's the cons. And, and I fell in love with it because there were single family flips and vacation rentals I did very well on. There were single family flips and vacation rentals I did not do very well on. And when I averaged it out, you know, I came to the conclusion that these other multifamily deals were just about as lucrative, if not more in some cases, at least on the projections in the beginning. So I thought, then what am I doing wasting my time? <laughs> you know, that was kind of my light bulb moment is like, wait, if I can not have to do all the work and get the same result come on man and so that that's what happened and so my first deal was with a local operator in my local area who i knew i i don't know if it was an affiliation with that particular real estate group but whatever i i found them and i was a little skeptical not gonna lie <laughs> and so I, here's what i did i was selling a single family home anyway i had equity in the deal so i said i'm gonna take a portion of that equity and I'm gonna try this. I'm just gonna try it. I committed to trying. I committed to taking one first step. And as I did that, I said, I'm gonna wait about six months and I'm gonna make sure distributions actually come through. I'm gonna make sure this isn't a scam or a fraud. I'm gonna make sure I have communication with these folks. And as I saw all of that unfold, you know, in a very positive way, you know, they were meeting the projections, they were doing what they said, the reporting made sense. I said, all right this is what I'm doing, you know? And so every deal that sold after, I thought all that money's going towards syndications. <laughs> Through his own experiences, Travis learned that the sponsorship team matters more than the market and the deal itself. His first syndication as a passive investor had its ups and downs. And from that deal, Travis realized how important it was to do your own due diligence on the sponsors you invest with. This is probably my, I don't know, third, fourth deal that I did or something like that. And the numbers looked great. The performa was strong. It was one of these, you know, double your money in five years. And I just thought, hey, man, no brainer, you know, great market, great deal, great everything. But again, to your point, I failed to actually look at who is this operator 
can they actually pull off this business plan? How would I know if they even could? You know, I'd never asked about their track record, never asked about anything really. It was just, you know, hey, I like your deal. Can I invest? And so, so th three things. They did buy a good deal in a good market at a good time at a good price with a good business plan, quite frankly. The problem was they had never done a value add multifamily deal, much less of this size. This was like a four to 500 unit building. And it was just out of their wheelhouse. So they hired the wrong property management company. They hired the wrong contractors. They, they couldn't stay on budget. They couldn't rehab like they thought. They couldn't, you know, whatever, just endless. I can't even, I mean, there were like hundreds of things and it was like, it was such a joke. And so <laughs> we, the LPs, you know, we're hoping to get this 20% annualized return or whatever, if you kind of prorate the numbers. And we walked away with maybe like 10 or something like that. So it, it taught me a lot. Again, I'm not complaining too much. I'm still happy, you know, 10% return annualized is pretty, pretty strong. But a deal I thought I was in for five years ended up being a year and a half. And a deal I thought I'd double my money in ended up being 10% a year. So it, it was kind of a letdown. And it just taught me a lot about the, the sponsor, to your point, can't, you know, what I'm looking for at the end of the day as a limited partner investor is I'll look at a pro forma, I'll look at the numbers. I want to know, are you being conservative? So these are things that I look for is conservative underwriting. And then what's your track record or, you know, what makes you think you really can pull this off? You know, it doesn't always have to be track record, but give me some, some data, some facts to say, <laughs> we can absolutely do this and here's why. Yeah. And that's really it. You know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, kind of a con to this investing is that now it's not in my control. Now it's here's my money. I hope you can do what you say. <laughs> so it takes some some trust. After his first syndication deal, Travis began to refine his own investment criteria and what he wanted in an investment opportunity. He leaned towards real estate because he realized the drawbacks of investing in things like the stock market. I never knew about fire movement growing up. I don't think it was really a, a called that anyway. You know, there was um, Vicky Robbins wrote a book, you know, your what was it? Your 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 money or your life or something. You know, there were books that were kind of leading up to this moment. But I think it's only in recent years, the fire movement, which is an acronym for anyone listening, financial independence, retire early. A lot of the philosophy resonates well with me. It's a lot about living below your means for a certain amount of time, not for your whole life, just for a certain amount of time, making as much money as you can make, you know, save what you can, invest the difference. The the big thing that I I guess you could say disagree with or or don't you know do in my own life is a lot of these folks are investing in the stock market and they're investing in index funds. And it, it's simple and it's convenient. I get it but it's also not really a cash flow strategy. So it's an equity strategy. You're hoping that you're buying today and that the stock market's higher down the road. Well, you know, historically that's been true, but as you know, there's a lot of volatility too. <laughs> so are you buying at the top today and the next year you've lost half of everything? I don't know. So there, so the 4% rule, cause you mentioned it, would mean just for sim simplicity, so I put a million dollars over time into a brokerage account or an IRA or something like this, right? So I have my nest egg. So now I'm ready to retire, whatever age that is, 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever. So I start pulling the money out at a 4% withdrawal rate, which would be $40,000 per year. And the theory is 
that your account over time is doing better than 4%. So you're leaving a margin for inflation and for the ups and the downs. And, you know, as we all know, the historic S&P has been whatever, eight or 9% a year. So that's the theory, right? And so you, you theoretically never run out of money and, and you live off that. What I don't like about it is you're eating away at your nest egg. You're actually taking your principal out and you're living on it. So when I do, what I call the 8% rule with real estate, not telling anyone else what to do, by the way, I'm not a financial advisor, so <laughs> please seek license advice. This is what I've done. My real estate on average cash flows on an annual basis around 8%. I have deals that are maybe six that I just got into recently. I have deals that are maybe 13, 14% that I've been in for years. I'm averaging out and I'm being conservative and I'm saying 8%. I live on the 8%. Okay, and then any equity upside or growth in the property, the buy low, sell high, is just icing on the cake. You know, it just helps boost again to offset inflation and, and other factors. So let's. So if you run those numbers, here's the thing that that really was the light bulb moment for me. If I was using the four percent rule, I would need, for example, let's say two point five million dollars invested, right, to get a hundred thousand dollars per year. But if I use the 8% rule, I only need half of that. So 1.25 million invested, right? So you can get kind of to your goals a lot faster if you're focused on cash flow as a strategy and not just equity and growth. And so that's kind of what it is in a nutshell and kind of how that works. To vet a sponsor, Travis first identifies what he's hoping to accomplish with a particular investment. As a passive investor, he focuses on cash flow, and he invests in deals that meet his criteria. I think first and foremost, I, I start with my own goal, first of all. And, you know, people have different goals, you know, and I talk about, I just did a, a Las Vegas conference here recently, and I talked about the two different types of people. One's equity focus. What their goal would be is maybe, I want to build up a, a nest egg of net worth, right, of three million bucks by the age 50, let's say, okay. The other person's, hey, I want $10,000 a month in cash flow. That's their goal, maybe so that they can retire or move to part-time work from full-time or whatever. So you start with your goal, whatever that is. Then you have to kind of identify what criteria is gonna match up to that, okay? So if I'm cash flow focused, because I am, I'm gonna look for core and core plus and value add type business plays, you know, as far as the model of, of what I'm investing in, something that distributes on a monthly, maybe a quarterly basis, you know, it's definitely going to have a cash flow component. So I'm not going to even look at new development, for example, because it doesn't meet my criteria. And then you'll have to decide what sector, multifamily, self-storage, hospitality, there's so many different things you can invest in. So you got to decide that. Then after, so this is kind of like the homework stage. <laughs> then to answer your question, now I go out and I look for sponsors who are doing multifamily or self-storage that distribute monthly, that have value add plays, blah, 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 five-year hold periods in the Sunbelt regions, you know, whatever. We were talking before the episode about Jacksonville, one of my favorite markets I've invested in and, and that you guys are investing in. So who's doing Jacksonville deals? You know what I mean? So it starts with, you know, you kind of got to be a little selfish first, right? And, and put yourself here. What am I trying to do? Then I'm going to, I'm going to go seek an operator who's in those markets doing that criteria and I'm going to match up a deal that meets my, my criteria. So what do I look for? First of all, are, are they trustworthy? Well, how do you know that? Well, you gotta, you gotta meet either virtually like we're doing now on zoom, or I used to do in person face to face. And if you can, I always encourage that. 
and go visit their facility or go visit one of their properties, you know, just, just make it real, I think is because a lot of skepticism comes from the unknown and the unknown would be, I don't know this person. I don't know their properties. I don't know. Well, then go know. <laughs> you know, that's the step that you have to take. It's not rocket science. So again, back to track record experience, who's on their team. I know a lot of newer operators will partner with somebody on the team that does have the experience. It, you know, there's different ways to approach this business. But again, I'm looking for someone who can factually back up the fact that they say, yes, we can accomplish what we say we're going to do. And here's why. And I, I want to make sure they answer their phone, they answer their email, you know, because sometimes investors have questions and it freaks me out if I can't get a hold of a person for two weeks. And then I'm, then I start thinking, oh, is this a scam? Did they take my money? What's going on? So you, you just got to know this stuff up front because these are illiquid investments, meaning if I put 100K in, I may not see that 100K for five years, for example. So I need to trust that someone's going to be managing that well and going to be in communication if I have questions. As a passive investor, limited partners receive depreciation benefits when they invest in an apartment syndication. Depreciation is one of the many benefits investors like Travis receive when they are involved. With the disclaimer, I'm not a tax advisor or CPA, so please seek license advice, but from an LP definition and perspective. So whether you're investing in single family homes or commercial properties, like we're talking about multifamily on a large scale, the IRS allows you to depreciate or basically write off or deduct from your taxable income, uh, the lifespan of certain things that they deem have a lifespan, you know, maybe a refrigerator in a rental property, just making this up, might have a, a seven year lifespan, says the IRS. So the use, the, the useful life doesn't extend past it. So if you go put a thousand dollar fridge in a rental, you can start writing that off over the course of seven years until you get down to zero. So that just helps offset taxes. So on a building, when we go buy, let's say a 400 unit apartment building. So you cannot depreciate land because there's no shelf life. It's land, it's always gonna be there. But you can depreciate the building itself and the brick and mortar and the roof. And so what, what gets even more complicated, but kind of exciting, is you can do cost segregation studies. So you can hire a third party to come in and they'll say, okay, well, you've got ceiling fans here, you have cabinetry, you have some countertops, you have carpet, you have these light fixtures. Each of these have their own uh, useful life. And right now in the tax code, you can accelerate the depreciation. And so what, what all this means, <laughs> just in layman's terms is if I go put, $100,000 into a syndication deal as an investment, I might get on paper a loss for tax purposes of 30, 40, sometimes as much as $50,000 in year one, which offsets the cash flow that I received, you know, from the property. And so that this is taking in, into consideration operating losses and the whole deal. You typically get a K-1 tax form, by the way. So for those not familiar, it's kind of a, an equity partnership tax form, you know, and so all the work is done for you. That's something I want to point out. When I did everything myself, I'm, I'm having to keep track of receipts and scan everything and file all this stuff and I'm losing things and the numbers, you know, are, are hard to, to keep track of on different properties and everything. When, when you invest in a syndication as one K1 tax form, boom, already done for you. There's the numbers, go give it to your CPA. I love that. And I can't even understate that enough. I mean, it's just 
it, it's amazing. So that's kind of how it is from from a high level. You're just getting uh, tax advantages, as I mentioned at the beginning, and those can help offset income. So high income earners, it's a good deal. During the hold period of a property, there may come a time when the value of the property has increased enough through renovations and increased efficiency that the property qualifies for a refinance. Refinancing a property is a common strategy for sponsors that allows them to reduce their long-term borrowing costs and, in some cases, free up equity. Passive investors benefit from refinance as well, as Travis has learned firsthand. Again, just to draw a parallel to to a single family home, it's the same concept, okay? So you buy a rental property, whether this is a syndication or you just bought a single family home as a rental. So you move forward through your business plan, you, you renovate the unit, it's now worth more than it was when you bought it, okay? So you go to a lender, you say, hey, I want to do a refinance, which is putting a new loan over the old loan, or do you, you, there's different ways that you can refi, a cash out refi or whatever it may be. The, the point is, according to the IRS, and it's true, this is not a sale of your property, right? You're still going to own this property. So what that means is, you know, if if your valuation's gone up 20% since you bought it, you can extract 20% of the equity then, just using simple numbers, return it to investors or return it to yourself if it's your own property, and it's a non-taxable event. So it's a beautiful thing. This is a way Robert Kiyosaki calls this the velocity of capital. So he used to be a speaker on this idea that he would get these infinite returns. You know, they would go into a deal, add value, refinance, get their capital back, whatever it is they put in, and then go put that capital in another deal and do the same thing. Add value, refinance, get the money back, go do another deal. Well, meanwhile, he's holding on to all these different properties. So his cash flow is just, you know, doubling, tripling, quadrupling, and he's using the same original source of capital that he used from day one. So it can be a beautiful strategy. It doesn't always have to be put your money in a deal and then sell it. It could be put your money in a deal, refinance and do another deal. So that's, that's one beautiful thing about real estate in general. When Travis first started investing, he tried a few different vehicles. One of these was an IRA. As he learned, he began to focus on real estate and liquidated his other investments so he could dump them into syndications. I wish I had been more clear and defined on my goals in the beginning <laughs> because I, I did, I was trying to do everything, you know? So I had 401ks and I had Roths and I had traditional IRAs and I had brokerage accounts and I, but I had little money in all of this, you know, because I just didn't know what I was doing. And you just get tidbits from people. Oh, you got to have a Roth, you know, oh no, you should put it in your brokerage. So I, <laughs> I had no rhyme or reason, but, um, so what happened is in the oil industry, I had a 401k that had the most money in it compared to all my accounts. When I left that job, I had, uh, I did a rollover. So I rolled it into a self-directed, that's, that's a key word there, self-directed IRA custodian. And self-directing allows you to invest in real estate private placements or these, these syndications that we're talking about. And so I started investing with my IRA uh, in, in these deals. But note, you cannot do that if you hold it like most people hold their IRAs in Fidelity or Schwab or, you know, whatever, TD Ameritrade, all these big brokerage firms, they make money a completely different way through stocks, bonds, mutual funds, through fees, whatever. So it's a free account, but then they they get you with all these different fees that you most of the time probably don't even know about. So anyway, um, I did that for a while, but 
I was young enough at that time where I changed my philosophy on investing and I said, I'm going to start living on this cash flow. This is going to become my immediate income. And so therefore, I don't want to wait to 59 and a half till I can touch these accounts. I want them now. And so I ended up cashing out, but not to suggest anyone else should do that. That's just what I did. I took a tax hit and, um, and I, 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 I invest through an LLC. So I just kind of self-direct my own portfolio now that way. So, uh, but the, the, the important point is whether you have an IRA already, or you have a 401k from a previous employer, or you have multiple accounts like I had, you know, you can consolidate and then you can self-direct and then you can do what it is I do, or you can invest in oil and gas or gold and silver or private businesses and companies. There's a lot of things you can do when you self-direct. So it's something to, to talk to your CPA about and strategize with, with whoever your financial advisor about and just see if that makes sense for you. Most people understand the importance of having a CPA. Taxes can get pretty complicated. Travis understood this too, and he connected with a CPA that specializes in the types of investments he does. After a bad experience with another CPA, Travis knew he needed to find a tax professional that understood his investments so he could maximize his tax deductions. I think a mistake that I made that I think a lot of people make <laughs> is I, I started using a, a CPA early on that was just kind of a generalist, right? There was no specialty. It was just give me your, your tax papers and then I'll see what I can do. And then they just do what they do, you know? And so there was real, really no strategy and, and no specialty. So what I learned is working in the oil industry, there was a period of time, several years that I was working overseas. I was working in the Middle East and Kuwait and Saudi Arabia. And I got to talking with, with some of my coworkers and they're like, man, like, you don't, you don't have to pay tax on this income. You know, it's foreign earned, blah, blah, blah. Again, not a CPA or tax advisor, but I, I thought, man, that's interesting because I am paying tax on all of this. And so I brought it up to my CPA and they're like, ah, don't worry about it. It's just, you know, it's just how it works. It is what it is. And then later I, I interviewed a CPA firm that specialized in overseas US based oil workers. And I gave them my past tax returns and they're like, this is insane. They're like you didn't have to pay all these taxes, you know? And, and I mean, this was to the tune of a lot of money that I paid in. And the point was I had to pay a little more for a specialty service, but they were able to understand and interpret the tax law according to what I was doing specifically. So I later applied that to real estate. And I said, I need to find a CPA that understands real estate private placements. They understand single family and multifamily. Hopefully they're an investor themselves. And more importantly than all that, that they proactively strategize with me and say, hey, next year, what you ought to be doing and thinking about is ABCD or when the tax code changes, sending me an email. Let's have a chat because a lot just changed. And that's what's happening right now. You know, under the Biden administration, a lot of tax stuff's changing. 2017 was a huge change under Trump. And so you need to have a CPA that's that's passionate and proficient about you know keeping up with this stuff and so anyway long story short i read a book years ago by tom wheelwright tax-free wealth that book was probably a 15 dollars book when i bought it it's probably saved me almost 100 grand in taxes just from reading a book like that so again back to self-education what sets people apart 
you got to self-educate, man. <laughs> and then to your point, find a CPA that specializes in what you do, no matter what that is, you know, you just got to find somebody. Many people in the investment community harp on the importance of diversifying your portfolio. This is a strategy that works and has its benefits. However, after an experience with diversification that didn't turn out the way he would have liked it to, Travis decided to focus on real estate. Many real estate investors only invest in real estate because, like Travis, real estate has proven to be a strong, stable asset class that is more recession resistant than many other alternatives. There was a period of time that I thought, I'm going to, you know, I was in a real estate group. I thought I need to start diversifying my portfolio kind of out of real estate because I had a, like almost everything in real estate. So I said, I'm going to start doing some other things. And there was a presentation I watched on this distressed debt kind of stuff. It was unique to me. I didn't quite understand all the inner workings, but it was one of these like shiny object syndromes, you know, like we all can fall prey to with whatever it is, Bitcoin or whatever. And so, but I didn't know anything about this. So I ended up putting way too much money in it because I had liquidity at that point and I was seeking diversification. But the problem was the mistake I made, I was investing in something I didn't know and I didn't understand. And what ended up happening is that that was a private equity play, non-real estate related that ended up being a Ponzi scheme. And so I lost a ton of money and it's been in receivership for years and years. And um, man, it's an ugly thing. You know, it's just, a, it's such a terrible experience. And so the point is invest in what you know and understand, you know, that's, that's the best advice. And you got to get the perspective that you got to think there's people like, I don't know, Steve Wynn, Robert Kiyosaki, Donald Trump, there's people who've been in real estate virtually their entire lives, right? And they're constantly having success with it, right? So it doesn't mean that, that there's different philosophies, right? Diversify across everything on the planet. And then there's double down on what's working basically. And so I'm of that mindset now is double down on what's working. And if it's real estate, awesome. And if you're good at trading stocks, awesome, go do it. Although many people become limited partners with the intention of eventually becoming a general partner, Travis wasn't interested in that. Instead, he's built his portfolio by passively investing over time. And that strategy has worked great for him and has enabled him to build a life he envisioned years ago. These gentlemen I was introduced to that were full-time LPs for decades, I decided right then and there, that's the path I want to be on. So a lot of people, maybe we we're talking before the show or, or maybe it was on the show, but uh, you're saying a lot of people are LPs and then they become GPs. That's great, but that's not what these guys did. And that's not what I want to do. So everyone's different. But I, the, the reason that my wife and I love being limited partners and that we love just the passive side of the business is because of the lifestyle flexibility that it brings because I remember distinctly all these moments in my life where I had tenant problems and it was, I'd love to take a vacation right now, but I can't because I got a closing coming up and this tenant hadn't paid their rent and I got to go fix the sprinkler head. And I got, you know, I just had things like that. And so now we can pick up and leave, you know, and we did this pre COVID, you know, when we went international traveling and Asia and Italy and Germany and all over the place. And, and it's nice because nothing ties us down to have those, those obligations, you know? So, um, I, I'm where I want to be, but of course, you know, it's going to take many more years to get to, to the ultimate destination, but, um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Many real estate investors don't get into real estate to do real estate for the rest of their lives. 
Typically, real estate is a stepping stone for others to get to some other goal or lifestyle. Either way, real estate can empower people to do what they want and lead the lives they want. For Travis, his mission is to help others. Thanks to real estate, he has the freedom and flexibility to do that on his own terms. We obviously have our own you know, personal goals and, and metrics that we want to hit and things like that. But more importantly, to, to kind of zoom out, everybody, think about anybody listening right now, everybody has kind of what they would do if money weren't a concern, right? So you think whatever that number is for you, you know, you have 20,000 a month, 50,000 a month rolling in without you having to work. So what do you do? Well, again, I like to help people where and when I can. So I hope to always be doing that in some capacity. It may be real estate, but it may be something different. You know, it may be diet nutrition one day, who knows, but I just want to be spending my time trying to impact others and share things and results that, that have worked. So, um, you know, I, I don't know <laughs> to answer, you know, where, where do you see it? It's like the, the classic interview question, where do you see yourself in 10 years? You know, I, I don't know, but hopefully helping others, uh, continuing to be an LP investor, you know, doubling passive income here and there as we go through time, being more charitable and just trying to, to, to do what I can. Thinking for yourself and coming to your own conclusions is critical. So often we let other people's opinions dictate what we do or the lives we lead. Travis has built a life by design by not allowing the opinions of others to dictate his life and instead using his own mind to pave a path to success. Let me pull up a quote here for you. Yeah. I always forget this, this quote. Just give me a second. It's basically, it, it's, it's a, um, a Roman emperor here. Let's see. So it's from Marcus Aurelius. Everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. And everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. So I think that's really key to keep in mind that I'm up here right now just sharing my opinion, my perspective. You may or may not agree, but just keep that in mind that, you know, everybody has an opinion, but the only one that matters is your own. That's what I always say. <laughs> so that's probably my best advice. To learn more about Travis, here's where you can go. First, I'm, I'm all over, you know, social media channels. So bigger pockets, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Facebook and Instagram is at passive investor tips. If you want to find me there. And I also give away a lot of resources, including my calendar. If you want to set up a one-on-one -on -one call, I don't sell anything. So if you just want to kind of brainstorm anything that we talked about, you can find that at ashcroftcapital.com forward slash Travis. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. If you got value from this episode, please do us a favor and give us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Make sure to visit our website at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash monopoly, where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you'll never miss a show. If you want to avoid the top five mistakes passive investors make, you can also check out our free ebook by going to www.donisinvestmentgroup.com and downloading it. Be sure to tune in to our next episode. Until then, take care, guys. Mm -hmm.